another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Friday, thank God, January 16th. I believe this is episode 124 of the Survival Podcast that we will share again this morning as I make my commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. About a 50-mile drive that I share every day with my friends on the other side of the internet. And some of you guys are less than a few miles away from me, honestly. I've gotten emails that say we must cross in the morning during our commute. And uh, some of you guys are in places like Australia and New Zealand and the United Kingdom and South America. So it's kind of cool to think that one guy's show like this reaches so many people. And as I always try to do often, let me say once again, every person out there who's ever shared my show with anybody else, thank you so much for doing that. And thank you for, I know sometimes some of the people around you may be like, you know, kind of hesitant to look at anything labeled survival or prepping or stuff like that, and some of us are looked at like we're a little bit strange. So those of you who have actually done it face-to-face with people that maybe aren't inside the survivalist mentality already, I really thank you for sticking your neck out there for a show like mine. I really appreciate that. Um, Folks, today we're going to talk about bug out bags, and... uh, Instead of doing a show like I've done in the past on bug-out bags where I kind of tell you everything that I keep or everything that I think belongs in a bug-out bag and give you an inventory, I'm going to talk about some of the things that you keep in a bug-out bag and why. I'm going to talk about the purpose of a bug-out bag, how to evaluate the effectiveness of your bug-out bag before you need to rely on it, and some other cool stuff like that. I decided it's time for a little bit of a change-up. We've been on guarding heavy lately. We've talked about the economy. We've talked about politics. Uh, we've talked about a lot of things that aren't maybe down to earth nuts and bolts survivalism uh, in the last, I'd say, 20 episodes. So let's do something that's near and dear to everybody. Before I do that, though, um, there's the biggest news story in America today, and you would think it would be the coronation. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say that? I meant the inauguration of Barack Obama, but it is not. Um, It is the fact that a plane, and if you haven't heard this, I don't know where you've been hiding, what under, or what rock, or what have you, a plane up in New York flew into a flock of birds that put out or caused damage to the engines, and the plane crashed in some water in the Hudson River, and nobody was hurt. And everybody did what they were supposed to do. Flight attendants, pilots, every the crew did the right stuff. The passengers got up. Everybody got out of the plane. Of course, everybody was scared. Crapless, right? But nothing happened to anybody. There isn't a person on whom it appears that blood was drawn. All right? This is the entire story. I've just given it to you. Yet, for the last 24 hours, we've been bombarded with it. Proving that we really need think when we hear about how bad something is from the media and and what it means to us and what we should do because of it, we really need to think about, hey, maybe we need 
need to inform ourselves. That's why I put so much effort on education on this show, so the real things that are going on, what the real threats are, and what the real proper responses to them are. Because this, it's just showing how our media will take anything, anything as insignificant as this. And I mean, if you know somebody that was on that plane, if you happen to have been on the plane, if you have a relative that was on a plane, I understand that personally for you, this was a tragedy, and you're probably still not over it, even though nothing happened. But this is not a nationwide, we need to hear about a 24-7 event. They had a guy on today on Fox News. They practically made a hero out of this guy. Well, you were the guy that opened the door for everybody, weren't you? Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I did. Tell us about the responsibilities of the person sitting in row 11. Like, this guy's a hero. You know what? He didn't do anything different than any other person would have done if they were sitting in the same seat. And basically, he's done what my kid was taught to do from the time he was six years old at the mall open the door for somebody so folks i just had to get off that off my chest and share that with you and again if you think this is a big story that's fine you can i just think that we heard way too much about it already and the report i just gave you is all anybody ever needed to hear so let's go on into bug out bags and uh, as we do this remember you are free to disagree with me dissent comment chime in what have you now you can't call in the show uh but there are a couple ways to give me your feedback one is to go to the blog the survival podcast.com. There's a feedback form there. You can get in touch with me directly that way, uh, where it says contact. The other way is if you want to comment on an individual episode, and if you are commenting on an episode, please do it there. Don't send me an email about it, and then I'm going to answer you and not everybody else, right? So comment on the episode at the blog if it's episode specific. If you want to have a more in-depth discussion with other members of the audience, check out our forum, the survivalpodcast.com slash forum. Uh, there's about 20,000 thousand posts in that form already and it's only I think three or four months old uh, so there's an active survivalist community it's a very welcoming community and I just got an email from somebody that posted kind of a snarky comment one of their first posts and got some negative karma at the forum if you go into the forum with some snarky comments initially somebody might ding your forum karma a little bit negative let me just say it doesn't matter nothing happens don't get all worried about it it'll be okay it won't mean anything. It's just something cool that we do to let other members know, hey, we like what you said. We didn't like what you said. In fact, one of our moderators, Jeremy Miller, known as Millerized on the forum, has something like 192 negative karmas, and he's quite proud of it. I think he baited people into doing it. In fact, I don't think I know. So, if you go to the forum and you get a negative, it's okay. I've got nine of them myself, and hey, it's my show, my forum, and my site, uh, and I'm glad that I've gotten some negatives. That means that people are willing to tell me when they disagree, and I'm cool with that. On the bug out bags, um, I, I said this yesterday toward the end of my show when I was talking about why it makes sense to prep no matter what, why there's no downside to it. But I need to repeat it again today because it makes part of this, it makes this episode congruent and complete. And that is that a bug out bag is often looked at by the new survivalist, the tactical guy, maybe. Maybe an ex-army guy, maybe a guy that wanted to be in the military but never joined, and he's like a war game guy or something. And, and, and that type of person is often attracted to survivalism. And don't think I'm putting you down if that's you, because a little bit of that, that is me, especially when I was a little bit younger, and I thought more about the cool stuff than the practical stuff, before the family support and all. But that mindset usually revolves around thinking like an army rucksack. And this is my battle pack, right? This is for me to go to war with. This is for me to go fight with. Well, that's not what a bug out bag is. 
A bug out bag is for exactly what it says. It's for bugging out or getting away from one place to another place that has a higher safety quotient to it. In other words, if you know my personal situation, what I might bug out from would be my house here in Arlington, Texas. Let's say something happened here locally or something was coming that we had advanced warning to. We have a little place up in Arkansas, kind of remote. We might grab our gear and go there. Now, in a perfect situation, it's a four to five hour drive. But in a bug out situation, we could end up spending a day to make a five hour drive or more. When people evacuated Houston ahead of Hurricane Rita a couple of years ago, people ran out of gas sitting in traffic on I-35. So that means that we need to make certain provisions for our vehicle, like carrying some extra fuel and stuff like that, which we won't get into today. But just think about that as I go through the rest of this show and have that in your mind. But we can end up in a situation where the, the, the highways are clogged or it's not safe to take the direct route. We have to take an indirect route. In that case, we might spend a day or two and maybe a couple nights on the road. Maybe staying in a hotel won't be a big option. Who knows? We might one day wake up and be told, you got to get out now. Go. Who knows what event could occur. There's always that potential. We could end up in some kind of a, you know, a, a camp or something uh, because there's no other place to go. We can't, you know, the people worry about being rounded up and shipped off to death camps or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about legitimate, the government has a legitimate concern. You can't go that direction. It's not safe. If there's no place else for you to go, you've got to get out of here. Here's a place you can hole up for a few days until this thing is back under control. There's all these different different situations, scenarios that you could be in, where you're not sleeping in your own bed or even a reasonable approximation of a bed with your home comforts around you for a few days. Now, it's been estimated that people that can go three days, 72 hours, that's why a bug out bag is sometimes called a 72-hour kit, can generally get through the worst of it and get to somewhere a little bit safer, a little bit more controlled, whether that's to a relative's house or or what have you. Now, if we have the true end of the world as we know it, your 72-hour kit, you might have to milk into a six-day kit, and uh, it probably ain't going to do you a heck of a lot of good, uh, because you're not going to have enough sustenance to last long enough. So the bug out bag is, generally speaking, unless you have a well-stocked location to be going to, not what gets you through the apocalypse. It's what gets you through the more practical, more potentially probable situations that pop up and simply mean you've got to get from one place to another. So everything in your bug out bag should be about providing you comfort, comfort, security, and capability during a three to four day period in which you end up, for lack of a better term, being a refugee. And it could be a 12-hour experience. It could be a 4-hour experience. It could be a 3-day experience. You don't really know, so you plan for the worst and hope for the best. That's the purpose of a bug-out bag. And, And anybody that tells you different is not wrong for just describing something else. If they really think it's a rucksack designed to go to battle with, well, they're describing a rucksack to go to battle with. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not a bug out bag. 
in the traditional sense of what the entire concept was built around. This concept originated back in the 60s and 70s when people were acutely aware of the potential for global thermal nuclear war and people that worked in cities actually thought that if I got out to the country where I live instead of in the city where I work, I might be okay. Right? It might not be full-scale war. It might just be a few bombs going off. And I might need a way to get somewhere. That was the thing that started this whole concept and really got it off the ground. Now, if I'm wrong about that, fine. I've read that from enough informed people and enough very good forums to believe that that makes sense. So that's what I'm telling you today. So, what kind of stuff should you be looking at putting in a bug out bag? Well, one thing I believe you need to have in a bug out bag that gets overlooked is a good set of maps. A good set of maps and documents about how to get to places that you might want to go. Because in a panic situation, you might think, well, I've lived in this city that I live in or this town that I've lived in my whole life. I know every road, I know every route, and I know the places that I would want to go. But when you're worried, hey, um, my wife is 30 miles away, my kid's 20 miles the other direction, I've got to get everybody back together and get us the hell out of here. You'd be surprised what stress does to the mind and how easy it is to forget things, forget your plans, and make irrational decisions. On a much lighter note, I was really disgusted with a partner the other day uh, at work. I was angry. We, just had a, we didn't really have a fight, but we had a major disagreement. And I wasn't thinking, and I went to lunch, and basically we're off the tollway, so I went and got on the tollway. And I was going to go down one exit, and not even actually get on the tollway, just go down the access road, make a, a left and go across, and go get some lunch somewhere. I got on the tollway, and I went four exits. I was heading home. Not heading home because I'm angry and I quit. No, no, no. I was heading home because my mind was in the wrong place, because I was angry. Now, just having a disagreement with a partner can make someone who's... And I think I'm a pretty level-headed guy. Deviate from the course of action of going to lunch. Imagine what happens when there's an announcement. We believe there is a credible threat of a nuclear weapon in Dallas, Texas. Residents are advised to evacuate that live within 30 miles of the city or more or less, right? And you're on one side of the city and your family's on the other. And you got to get the hell out of there. And you're thinking, this thing could go off any time. Right? There's been an exposure of a biological weapon in Dallas, Texas, or, you know, Chicago, Illinois, wherever you live. In any of those scenarios, the, the, the belief that you're going to be completely rational... It's absurd. So you have to have documentation, a list, just like when you go shopping to remind you what your purpose is now, what your procedure is now. And you you know what? Your your wife and if your kids are self-mobile, they should have their own bug out gear with that same type of equipment in it. You should be getting a hold of each other and you should be putting a plan together to rendezvous because if you're on one side of the city, they're on the other, and both of you got to get out, you're probably not really well off driving through the city. Both of you should probably take a route to rendezvous somewhere and stay in touch with each other and you keep your heads 
So your bug out bag should be designed with that type of scenario in mind. And I've looked at a lot of really cool bug out bags with a lot of cool gadgets in it. Very few of them tend to have that type of documentation with them. And now there's the paranoia that will say, well, if we have that, then the people can find us and track us down. Well, I don't know who you think's going to be trying to find you and track you down, but if you don't have your bug out bag and you don't have your documentation and you're that worried about it, don't follow that particular procedure. But I'm not talking about, you know, marking on your map, gun cashier, ammo cashier, food cashier, silver cashier. I'm talking about routes to get from one area to another. So let's be rational about that if you're kind of a foil hat guy, right? Let's pull that back in and let's think. If we think, then we get through situations. That's the most valuable thing that you can have in a survivalist mindset. In my opinion, it's a good, solid mind. And the documentation about what to do, where to go, and labeling different routes of evac and different routes of rendezvous make that a hell of a lot easier in a time when you are panicked out of your mind. Another device that I don't hear a lot about, some people have them, but I don't hear a lot about in bug out bags, is the GPS. Um, when the handheld GPS first came out, my thought was, this is going to cause more harm than good. Because people that should not be going into places without marked trails are going to go into places without marked trails. They're going to rely on this, and they're not going to learn the first damn thing about map reading and compass reading and topography. And they're going to get lost, and they're going to die in the woods with a machine that's supposed to get them home because that machine malfunctioned, or the batteries died, or they dropped it, or they lost it, or they broke it. And, folks, it's happened. It has happened. And I think the survivalist community has looked at the GPS and said, you know, EMP, satellite disruptions, there's a lot of survival scenarios that a GPS might not work. Okay? And I did two at first. And then I started thinking, you know what? There's a lot of survival situations where my car won't work. But if it works in a survival situation, I'm going to use it. There's a lot of situations where my house may not be the place to be in a survival situation. But if my house is the place to be during a survival situation, I'm going to go there and I'm going to do the best I can in that place. I'll bug in. There will be you know, survival situations where the concept of using a road may not be a good idea. It may be better to go through a field. But when the road is available and right, I'm going to use it. So why don't we apply the same logic to the GPS? And I think that done that way, the GPS is a very valuable tool, something to keep in a bug out back. I keep a small uh, Lowrance GPS in my car. And I can't tell you how many times, this is an even survival situation, where I've ended up in a part of town that I've never been to before because I had to go do this or go do that and kind of just off the cuff and did it. And I'm not talking about one of these turn-by-turn Garmin things, you know, you know, freeway entrance on the right in one quarter mile. Turn now. Ding, 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 you've arrived. I'm not talking about that kind of GPS. Simple handheld GPS that I bought mostly for fishing. And it's got an okay map system and all, but you get somewhere and the sun's down or it's cloudy so you can't see the sun so you can't get your bearings in east, west, north or south you've gotten turned around you don't know where you are you, you, but you do know hey I kind of came from the highway and 
the highway's got to be to my north. I just no longer know where north is anymore because I've never been here before. And you pick this thing up and you turn it on and you realize, well, I'm heading west. If I go right, that's north. The interstate's that way. You make a right and you maybe have to go through a few alleys or something. And next thing you know, there's the, there's the, there's the highway. Well... That is a very reasonable expectation that during some kind of an evac, you can get a little bit knocked off course, either on foot or in a vehicle. And if your GPS doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if it does work, it's there, you might as well use it. So to me, used that way, a GPS is one of the coolest tools you can have as a survivalist. And maybe someday I'll do a show on, on GPSs. Maybe one day I'll have Hal Dodd, my buddy, come over to the house. We'll do that show together because this guy's like a GPS freak. And he knows a lot more about GPSs and uh, geocaching and all that kind of stuff than I do. So maybe we'll do a static, you know, at home, direct to the PC podcast, the combination. Uh, something on GPSs, but you know, look at that as an option, and they used to be really expensive, and you can buy a decent little handheld one now for somewhere between 60 and 100 bucks, depending on what you want out of it, and if you got two vehicles, and uh, you have a bug out bag in each, and you, you put one in each of those, that's probably a good idea, alright, and it's probably worth the investment, now if you're broke, don't run out right now, fire up your Hemex card, and buy a GPS, because Jack Spierko said so, alright, and, and talking like that may impede my ability to get sponsors, uh, but I have to be responsible with the recommendations I'm making. I'm saying if you have the money and you're considering about what to add next, and you can do it without going into debt, it makes a lot of sense to buy a good, solid little handheld GPS, or even two of them, so that you know other family members that might have a different vehicle somewhere else can use them. Now, on that and on documentation, on anything else you would put in a bug out bag. Let's say you're the survivalist guy. You've got it down. You know what to do. You put together a great bug out bag for your wife. You put it in her car. She doesn't know how stuff in there works. What good is it to her? So, if you get a GPS for your wife, folks, guys, or if you're a woman that knows how to work a GPS, you get one for your husband, and he's the guy that doesn't really prep, teach him how to use it. And say, you know what? There's a lot of things that you blow me off on. This isn't going to be one of them. You're going to learn how this works. Because this is cool, and this is useful, and I'm going to teach you how to use it, and it takes about 10 minutes to learn, and you're going to learn today. Because it's probably one of the things that can really make a difference in a situation where you guys are trying to get back together, especially with a partner that may not be as into this as you are and may not be as prepared as you are and maybe has not paid attention as often as you have. Where if you're on a radio or a cell phone or anything else you can communicate with, you can say, okay, where are you at? And what do you see on your GPS? Okay, hit that button, zoom out. Okay, see that road? That's the road you need to take. Go there, drive 10 miles, and I'll meet you or what have you, whatever scenario you can dream up, a lot of times that will get you out of there. Now, the other side of this is I think you should carry a good, solid compass. Now, I hate to break the news to some folks, but a lot of things that would disrupt the GPS may also disrupt a magnetic compass. All right? But... You, there are a lot of things that can disrupt the GPS that wouldn't disrupt your compass. You should get a compass and you should learn basic navigation skills with a compass. How to shoot an azimuth. 
Okay, and how to shoot a back azimuth. And with that and a good topographical map, you can generally pinpoint your location as accurate as any GPS if you know the skill set to do it with. Even if you don't really know the skill set, if you know the name of a road, you can see it on a map, and you have a compass to a sanity check and go, that way is north, it will often help you get out of Dodge. Same scenario that I described earlier where I fire up my GPS and go, hey, I'm heading west. If I had a little dashboard compass that told me which way north was, I could do the same thing a hell of a lot easier. I just don't like dashboard compasses sitting on my vehicle and I can reach down in my little uh, compartment and pull my GPS up in a couple seconds. That's why I do it that way. But a compass is not always dependable, but very, very often dependable. And if you use it as a sanity check, if you try to, like, if something really doesn't make sense, you're going, that looks like south, this compass is saying north, and try to use some other things either on your maps or around you to verify what's going on, usually you'll know if you're being lied to. And usually you won't be lied to. So compass is another thing. Don't see a whole lot of people with a compass in their rucks or their, uh, their bug out bags. Now, the guys that are all tactical think they're going to battle, they usually have a compass. That's one of the places they get it right, and a lot of the what we would call more conventional preppers get it wrong. Uh, so make sure you add that. And if you comment on this episode and you want to say, hey, I carry this, I carry that, I also suggest this, there's a thread on the forum with, with you know tons of bug-out bags and pictures and inventory lists. J- just don't get on the forum or on my blog today and start going, man, there's a lot of stuff you left out of today's show because this isn't an inventory list. This is just some things and, and how they would be used and why you may want to include them. And I'm trying to think of stuff here that a lot of people don't think of. Another one that people tend to not think of and it's really easy to forget this in the winter time because we don't deal with the problem as much as insect repellent. Again, you can't always think, hey, I'm just going to get my car and drive somewhere for a day or two, and it's going to be cool. You never know where you're going to end up. And one of the things that can make a person completely freaking miserable is just being chewed to death by mosquitoes and sand fleas and what other, other kind of creature, fly, you know, yellow flies, deer flies, horse flies, zebra flies, black flies, you name it. If it's out there and it bites, you really don't want to be bitten by it. And some people have really bad reactions to it. I can get a few mosquito bites and it's no big deal. My wife will break out from them. In fact, uh, we were in Florida one year and we got hit pretty hard by the sand fleas. The thing about sand fleas for most people is they bite, they suck, they itch, they go away very, very quickly though. They don't leave you with that welt like a mosquito does. She looked like she had the measles the next day. So, you know, again, with your bug out planning, your bug out bags, you have to think of not just yourself but the people with you. So maybe you can get bit by a hundred skeeters and you don't care and they're, you're tough and you're mean and they leave you alone. What about your wife, your kids? Right, so you got to think about the other folks with you. Uh, insect repellent is a big one that gets left off of a lot of lists. Another thing is, is anybody on prescri- regular prescription medication that's taken, you know, like, blood pressure medication or insulin or anything like that. Um, Unless there's a reason it can't be stored without refrigeration. And there are some medications that need to be refrigerated if they're, you know, for stored for more than a week or two, or maybe even a day or two, some of them. And some of those you got to figure your own thing to do with that and maybe have some of the, like a cooler or something you can throw stuff into. But anything else, since you're talking about a 72-hour kit, a three-day kit, I say put six days, because medications don't take much space, six days worth of that medication at a minimum in your packs. 
And let me be clear, if your husband's on the medication, put six days in his pack and put six days in your pack. Because you don't know in some scenario where you're not going to be able to get a hold of both packs. It's definitely a good idea to carry a decent first aid kit. I think most people do that. Make sure you carry some basic medications, over-the-counter stuff too, though. Things for runny noses, aches and pains, Tylenol, uh, you know, and Advil and, and uh, aspirin. I say carry all three. They're dirt cheap. Uh, you, you know, you're talking a couple dozen pills each, uh, packed in some place where they're going to stay secure and store well. Uh, you know, when you're really sore, just and different people, and the way I the reason I say to carry them all is some people have a low tolerance for uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like Motrin. They really shouldn't take it. Some people respond better to an aspirin than to Tylenol. Some people respond better to Tylenol. And again, you have to think about the people that may be around you, not just yourself. So since that's inexpensive and easy to do, it makes sense to carry uh, those types of things. Maybe some uh, decongestant. Definitely want to carry some Benadryl. Uh, any type of allergic reaction, it's always a preemptive step to take a little bit of Benadryl. It's also a really good sleep aid if you have a tough situation where kiddos are having a hard time going to sleep. You know, as long as they're old enough to take a full Benadryl, you give them a Benadryl, it often kind of knocks them out, especially if they're not accustomed to taking it. I don't think anybody should be accustomed to taking Benadryl because that means you're taking it all the time. Uh, but that's one of the, uh, the great little over-the-counter meds uh, that you can take. And there's a little neat thing I'm going to give you here on Benadryl. Benadryl has a very numbing effect on the mouth if you open it up. So if you get the capsules, not the tablets, and you needed to perform some sort of minor oral surgery, say something got stuck in somebody's gum and it had to be pulled out. All right. I had a friend, This I don't think Benadryl would have helped this one, but I had a friend that ended up with a fish hook through his cheek back in high school. All right. So you can end up with something lodged in your mouth or something, or maybe it's just a toothache that you, you need some time to get to a dentist for or whatever. If you take Benadryl and you drop one or two capsules of the powder into a glass of water and you rinse your mouth with it, and you know you, it's probably if it's more than you should be taking, you don't actually need the drug in your system. Spit the water out. You'll get about a good ten minutes of a very very numb inside of your mouth. So that's another little extra thing that you can do with something you're carrying for a completely different reason. And that's why I say knowledge is so important in these situations. It's not just what you carry. It's how many ways can you use one thing and how versatile can you make every object that you carry. Start thinking about that because I know there's things that I'm not going to cover that's never been covered that maybe if we started adding these things to our kits we would do better and we would be better prepared and uh, we would be more able to handle a greater variety of situations. So keep thinking. What can you learn tomorrow that will improve your chances for survival tomorrow, you know? I think I'm going to kind of go ahead and, and wrap things up here today um, and make this one short because, again, this is not supposed to be an inventory of a bug-out show. I've done that before. I'll try to give you a link to that show. I think it's back when the audio quality wasn't that great, but uh, if you want to get an inventory of everything I carry, it's in that show. And uh, maybe I'll do another show like that with better better quality, uh, quality audio. But today's show was hopefully going to make you think of at least maybe one thing you could add to what you're doing to make it more effective should you ever actually need to rely on your bug out bag. So let me wrap up with, with two thoughts. One is how to find out if your bug out bag is going to give you what you need 
before you actually need to rely on it. And the, one of the best ways I know to do this is take yourself a little camping trip. And this can be a fishing trip, right, uh, out to the local state park where you just camp out on the side of the lake overnight with a campfire and kind of make it a fun experience. But every time you need something that's not in that bag, just write down what it was. If you go get it, you know, if you send a guy on a beer run and he picks up some Motrin because somebody's back hurts, don't not take the Motrin. Don't deal without it. Just write it down. Now, some I've seen guys that take, you know, like a 10-mile hike, and then they rely on what's in their kits. And they have to suffer through what they didn't bring. And you learn a lot from that, and it's, it's a good drill, and it's something you might want to consider. But, you know, start out small make it easy, especially if you're going to do it with kids or with a spouse. You know, don't make them rely on it. Just see what you would have, you know, oh, if I had this to do again, I would have added this. And make that list and write that down. The last thing I want to close with, though, is kind of, well, we've talked a lot about stuff that goes in. What do we put it in? What makes a good bag into a, a bug out bag? Well, to me, it's whatever you think works best. But here's my personal views on it. One, I don't want camo. Not for a bug out bag. If I'm on my way on foot, specifically between places where society really has kind of broken down and people are becoming targets. I want to look like an aimless, wandering refugee that has no idea where I'm going, and inside I want to be a cool, calculating survivalist that knows exactly what I'm doing and is well-equipped to get there. To me, the camo stuff starts to make you look tactical. It attracts additional attention. On the other side, I don't want bright blue. Right. I don't want red. I don't want something that stands out. I want a nice drab color. And never underestimate the camouflage capability of basic black. If you think black stands out, go boar hunting in the South Texas swamplands. And those boar are black as coal. And you see one and he walks five inches into a different spot and he just vanishes and disappears. So black is a good color as well. Black's tactical, but it's not necessarily tactical. All of drab, you know, grays, tans, anything like that khakis when you go to the fleck camo the you know the digital camo stuff if you like that that's fine i'm not going to put you down for it i'm just giving you my personal opinion number two um uh, to me a bug out bag is not a duffel bag okay it's not a shoulder bag it's a backpack i have got to have my hands free when i'm on the move and the only way I know that's with a good pack. I prefer packs that have some sort of a frame to them, either um, you know, typical visible pack frame, or some of them have an internal frame that you really don't see, but it's there. It's much more comfortable to carry long distances, and it gives you the ability to attach a lot of things to the outside, and it also makes the pack a lot more sturdy and a lot less uh, likely to have the things inside of it damaged. And if you pull up and kind of need to sit down and use it as a, a, a rest, to rest against. It usually is a lot more stable for things like that. So those are my two big things with a, a bug out bag. I want as big a bag as I can get because I can always think of something to add. So I want as much cargo capacity as possible and I want a very, very well-built piece of equipment. I'm not going to go cheap on my bug out bag because I may actually need to put my life in its hands so to speak. So I'm going to buy a well-made piece of equipment, well-made basically piece of hiking equipment is what I'm looking for in a bug out bag and the decisions that I've made. 
So, folks, I hope this show has helped you, uh, you know, kind of reevaluate what you're doing. Do you have a bug out bag? If you do, great. Do you have all of the stuff that I talked about today? I'm sure you have things I didn't talk about today. But, you know, is it time to go out and break down and spend 69 bucks on a on a cheap, uh, you know, GPS or 100 bucks on a cheap GPS? Do you have documentation of what your procedure is supposed to be, where you're supposed to go? Do you have the phone numbers in that documentation for every uh, person you may need to get in touch with? You may not be able to rely on um, your phones. I also think it's probably a good idea, I'm going to throw some stuff in here at the end, have some type of uh, solar charging capability and a set of radios. All right, Even just little simple handheld radios. I've ne- I'm going to go ahead and break down and buy a set of these myself. I've started to see these things that say they'll cover 27 miles line of sight. And uh, I don't believe that figure at all. But they're inexpensive and I'll test them and see how far they can reach. It'd be a good backup means of communication to have all your family members have one of these and some method of charging it on them. So there's one more thing. But uh, yeah, you got to have your contact information for everybody too. Because you may find your cell phone dead, you may find your cell phone not working, you may find your cell phone taken away from you. Uh, so make sure you carry that type of documentation as well. If you are a tinfoil hat guy, if you're worried that your documentation might fall into the wrong hands, encrypt it a little bit in some way, shape, or form. Most people that are malicious are not also very intelligent. And uh, the, the guy you really have to worry about is the government agent that wants to take away your stockpile of rice. It's the bad guy that might want to uh, take take away uh, something like uh, the life of a loved one. So if you really want to protect yourself from that, use a little bit of some type of basic encryption and make sure that anybody that would uh, need to read that stuff knows how it works. I don't actually go that far. If you found my documents, you'd be able to make some phone calls and you'd be able to realize that there's a couple different ways that this person might leave. And uh, that's about it. But that's enough. So really evaluate your situation and think right now if uh, this second you weren't listening to my podcast but you were listening to the radio and you heard that somewhere close to you there was an imminent threat and you needed to leave, what would you do? And the stuff that you're relying on to get you wherever you would go, would it work? And uh, put yourself mentally through a couple of those scenarios, evaluate them, and see if you can figure out how to make that kit a little bit better. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream It really doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent